0: You have your Bibles turn with us to the book of Isaiah the book of Isaiah and chapter number two the book of Isaiah chapter number two and I want to read the first four verses but I want to preach for a moment on this thought of God's sovereign authority God's sovereign authority God is sovereign over all And his authority and power are unmatched and unquestionable. But I want to look at this subject matter for just a moment out of Isaiah chapter 2. I know from scripture that Isaiah is dealing with the future coming kingdom of God. And the day of the Lord that will happen and we will look at that. But I believe that Isaiah points for a moment and really brings to mind the sovereign attribute of God. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse number 1, the Bible says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and we shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come to you in prayer. God, we ask that for the next few minutes, God, that you might help us. Lord, as your people to step back and, Lord, really observe and behold you for all of your glory and might. Lord, I recognize that there's no way we can ad- adequately portray you in just a short amount of time. Lord, neither can human understand, Lord, or time permit all that it would take, Lord, to praise and give glory to who you are. But God, may we leave tonight with a greater understanding, Lord, of your magnificent uh, person, your being... Lord, may we give you the praise and glory that is due, your holy name. In Christ's name we pray, amen. In this passage of Scripture in Isaiah, it is dealing with the future, the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. During this time, Isaiah chapter 2, verse number 4, is probably one of the more familiar passages of Scripture in the book of Isaiah, when the Bible says, they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Many people are familiar with this passage of Scripture, especially with those who have had any kind of interest into uh, end-time prophecy. And so this is a uh, familiar passage of Scripture. However, I want to stop and look at this for a moment, not so much from a prophetic standpoint, but from a practical standpoint. Practically, here in Scripture, we find that there will come a day when Christ will reign upon His throne and His kingdom in Jerusalem, and for those who are looking at going to Israel with us next year, you'll get to see the place where this is going to happen. As you go there, you'll find that Christ will sit upon his throne and for a thousand years will rule the earth in such a manner that there will be no more war. The Bible says they will, uh, they will beat their swords into plowshares. They won't even know war or learn war anymore. There's coming a time when war will stop and forever be ceased. For at least for this thousand years while Christ reigns upon his throne of his earthly kingdom out of Jerusalem. To understand that really is uh, almost incomprehensible to you and I as we live in a world that is full of war and turmoil. Could you imagine living in a place where war does not exist if you haven't heard the news this week, I believe everybody's probably heard of the uh, Chinese balloon that's been floating across the US. And of course, everybody's joking, saying they're going to shoot it down. And I got curious to see if that was even possible. And uh, being a nerd liking numbers the way I do, I looked it up and they were saying it was 60,000 feet. And so it was a little over 11 miles. And unfortunately, even a 50 cal's not going to reach that height. And so it really was beyond any redneck Jim Bob shooting the balloon out of the sky. Although if you're on Facebook, you saw there have been plenty of memes where everybody said they were going to. U.S. military has shot it down, and now China is threatening to retaliate. Russia has been failing in Ukraine for a year now, and they are the, the... uh, correspondents and pundits that report on this stuff are saying that if uh, nothing changes and Russia loses the war there'll probably be an all-out nuclear war because of it there are wars, there are rumors of wars and we find to think that a thousand years with no conflict whatsoever, no wars where people even take their, their swords or their guns and they turn them into tools for their gardens, that seems pretty hard to imagine does it not? How could this be? How could the world know perfect peace and there be no war whatsoever? Matthew chapter 24, verse number 6, the Bible says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. These verses deal with the sovereignty and omnipotency of God, and yet these two attributes go hand in hand. He is sovereign, he rules over all, and he is omnipotent. He is limitless in his power, and the two must go together. A.W. Tozer said, to reign, God must have power, and to reign sovereignly, he must have all power. He has all power. To bring peace about earth is not a laborious task to our Heavenly Father. It is simply his will to decree it, and so it will be. God has delegated power to his children, but I want to make the, or to His creation. but I want to say this: He has not relinquished his power. He has delegated power to Adam and Eve to name the animals in the garden, yet he did not give Adam power. He merely allowed Adam to work within the power that God had delegated to him. When God rules on earth and there's a total surrender to his will, it will not be accomplished by military might if you read the Bible. It will simply be because God desires it. He has sovereign, all sovereignty, and he has all power. He is omnipotent in who he is. He simply says, and it is so. He spoke and the worlds and the vastness of our universe, they came into existence with the words of his mouth. We find that the stars and the daylight and the sun and the moon all became. He spoke and with the words of his mouth, the lands and the seas parted and, and animals and fish and birds and fowl. They all came about just because of the word of God. And then man was there in the garden. God formed man out of the dust to the ground. And with the breath of his nostrils, just with the breath of God, he breathed into man. And man became a living soul. God is omnipotent in all power. He has all power, all might. And because of that, he can reign supremely. He is a sovereign God. Matthew 28, verse number 18. And Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus said, All authority has been given. He was a sovereign. Jesus Christ was sovereign just as the Father is. All authority, all power was given to him. I want to say this, that the omnipotence of God is not simply a sum of all power in the universe. When we say that God is all powerful, we're not saying that all power in the universe belongs to him, but rather that power itself is an attribute of a heavenly father. From the creation of the universe, miracles of the Old Testament, the bearing of our sins on Calvary, the holding of all time and space and matter in his hands, and yet he has not diminished his power one iota or micro amount his power has not decreased it cannot decrease it cannot be used up or burn up his power is infinite see we like to think of God and we like to equate his characteristics or his attributes with ourselves if you like to exercise you know that you go to the gym or you go run And you exert energy until you lose the strength. Then there must be a time where you go back and you recuperate and you refresh and you allow your strength to be gained once more. For the acid to come out of your muscles and for the lactic acid to be removed where your body can regain its strength. And so we begin to think sometimes of God in that aspect, that God uses his power or his strength. And we seem to think that somehow we are exerting God. And yet that is not the case whatsoever. His power, his strength cannot be exerted. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. In himself is what power is consumed of, and it cannot go away. We view power as rising and falling again like the tides of the sea. However, this could not be further from the truth of God and his attributes. Here in Isaiah chapter 2, we find that there comes a day when Christ declares that peace will be on earth, that men and wars will be no more. And for a thousand years, man has perfect harmony. Why? Because God says that it is so. He simply decrees it. What has been impossible for man and what the Antichrist will try to intimidate and try to imitate for a time, he will bring about a false peace for three and a half years. Yet we know if you've studied the Bible prophecy at the three and a half year mark that there is a, a desolation in the temple and there's war that comes out and the Bible talks about a sorrow that man has never known happens for a time. Yet Satan tries to imitate God's perfect peace, but it does not last. But God declares that man will live in peace and harmony, and so it happens for a thousand years where war does not even enter our hearts. There are three demands of God's sovereignty. The first is that the demand is that he knows everything. He knows all. Any sliver, no matter how minute that it might be, that God does not know would cause a break in his sovereignty. It would be a lack of information, and that is the point where his reign, his rule, would begin to break down. I want you to know that there is nothing that God does not know. I mentioned it briefly this morning, but God inhabits all of time and all of space. There is no time frame or or place in the universe that God does not exist simultaneously. That's how he can count and know the very number of the hairs upon our head. And any break in that would say that he is not all sovereign. Second of all, he must be all powerful Anything that God does not have power over must be under the power of something else. What could it be that God does not have power over? Any place where God does not have power, it means that there is someone or something that is more powerful than he, and it cannot be. So for God to be a sovereign God, he must know all things, but also he must be everywhere. He must be all-powerful. He must be omnipotent. Thirdly, and finally, he must be absolutely free. This means that he is free to do his will without interference or to do his will without interruption or impedance. God is free to do whatsoever he would desire. You've probably heard it asked before, can God make a rock so big that even he can't lift it? Sure he can. You say, how's that? I don't know, but he can do whatever he wants. It's a foolish question to ask because why would he do that? But God can do as he sees fit. He is free. He is not controlled or dictated by you and I. And that's why I believe that doctrine that those would teach that you can lose your salvation is the greatest form of pride that you could ever know. It literally, to say you can lose your salvation, is to look at God and say that what you did on Calvary was good, but the works and deeds of my own self are greater than yours, and I'm able to undo what Jesus Christ did on Calvary. What an act of pride. Christ is free to do as he will, and he is free because of his power to do whatsoever he will. There is nothing that God has ever looked at and thought, I would do that if I had the time or if I had the energy. That does not come into the equation with God. He is free to do whatsoever he desires. Dealing with this subject matter here, Tozer, addresses the divisive subjects of Calvinism and Arminianism. To this point in the book, The Knowledge of the Holy, Tozer wrote, um, trying to unify the two ends, saying that God is sovereign and he knows all things. I am not hyper-Calvinist by any stretch of the imagination. Yet to say that God does not know would be a slap in his face for he is sovereign and knows all. So then the question becomes the flip side is that man is free and man can do what they want and I do believe that man has free will as well. So how can you unite the two? How can God be totally sovereign and still have, give man free will? The truth is is that Man has free will because God said it to be so. Because God said man has free will. Matter of fact, it, would, it only takes a sovereign God or it takes a sovereign God to give man free will. An unsovereign God would be threatened by the idea of giving a created being free will to make a choice, but a sovereign God who is in control of all, who knows all and has all power, He's not threatened by man, and therefore he can give free will. So God, because God is sovereign, God granted free will because he chose it to be. See, say, Pastor, is that the whole subject? No, it's an in-depth subject that great men of God have debated about for centuries, but I believe this much. I believe that God is sovereign in all that he is. And if you and I have free will, it is only because he delegated that right to us. And only he could do it. Look at me here in Isaiah chapter 2, verse number 10. The Bible says, Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord. And the glory of his majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty. Upon everything lifted up and it shall be brought low. We find here that Isaiah says that men will be humbled before God in that day the Lord alone shall be exalted the truth is God is sovereign And in that day God says he will humble those who are haughty against him those who are filled with pride in that day when Christ returns and establishes a kingdom here upon earth when he establishes his throne there will be no one who stands before him think with me for just a moment how it must be in that day the world has just came from the darkest days that have ever been known in in all of humanity where the plagues of God have been and the wrath of God has been poured out upon mankind Darkness and blood has filled the the streets and the byways, and and there was nothing but death and destruction all around. And Christ returns, and in that moment, he establishes his reign upon the earth, and out of his tongue came the flaming uh, sword of fire and destroys the armies of the world, and Christ comes and establishes his throne. You'll see there we come to... uh, into Jerusalem, you'll find there on uh, the mountain where Christ steps down, the Mount of Olives. You'll look over and you'll see the eastern gate on the Temple Mount that is sealed up and full of rocks and has been completely closed. But on that day, Christ will set his foot down on the Mount of Olives. He'll march down past the Garden of Gethsemane and up to the eastern gate. And the Bible says that the eastern gate burst open and Christ walks in and establishes his kingdom There. And the world sits back in awe and wonder. And from that moment, he decrees that there will be peace, that there will be no more war. And for a 1,000 years, there is perfect harmony. But turn with me to the book of Revelations chapter 3. I want you to look for just a moment at one of the most baffling things in Scripture. Revelations chapter 3, look me down in verse number, so Revelations chapter, chapter 20. Revelations chapter 20, verse number 1. The Bible says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So while Christ reigns and there's perfect peace on earth, Satan has been bound for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. And set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished but after these things he must be released for a little while now drop with me down to verse number seven now when the thousand years have expired Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up upon the breadth of the earth and surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Here we find that Jesus Christ has defeated the armies of the world. He has bound Satan and cast him into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. For a thousand years, earth will have known perfect peace and harmony and safety while Christ reigned. Now, now understand this. The world has seen how good God is, and they have seen how powerful he is at this point. He has displayed his power for all to know. And at the end of a thousand years, Satan is released for just a little while, the Bible says. Just a little time. And in that time, he gathers so many people to come against God that the Bible says the number really can't even be numbered. Can you imagine that? A people, a world, an earth that has seen firsthand the, the righteous indignation of God and him and all of his sovereign majesty and power. They have seen it displayed. And yet in just a little while, they, they side with Satan and come against God one more time. I'll be honest with you. I have a hard time wrapping my head around that. Talk about foolish! How could they turn their back on a God who had delivered a thousand years of perfect peace? And yet they do so just like that. I think we'd all agree that that's awful foolish, isn't it? They're so quick to forget how sovereign he is. Maybe not to the same scale or the same extent. But aren't you and I guilty just as well? We trust God. We trust Him with our eternal uh, souls to escape the damnation of hell. We, we, we entrust to Him our everything. And then trials come along our life. Difficulties come along, circumstances that we don't understand, and we're fearful to step out by faith and follow Him because we're fearful of what may be. And in spite of all He's done in our life, displaying His sovereignty on Calvary, we forget just who He is. We try to take a righteous sovereign God and diminish him to fit inside the box of humanity and we try to limit him to our own capabilities. How guilty are you and I? He's a sovereign God. A sovereign God. He's sovereign because he reigns supremely and what he says will be. We like to talk about scientists, like to talk about the laws of nature. We've got some school teachers here. I'm sure you've probably taught on it and are familiar with the laws of nature. Really, there's no such thing as the law of nature. That's just what we call the will of God. God decreed it, and it is. Nature has no laws of itself. Rather, it only affords or to do what God has permitted it to do. so in our life God has given us his law his words his parameters and we are to walk by faith and live according to God's Word trusting and believing saying Lord I recognize that you're able but just by your will and by your decree to do the impossible in my life to do the unthinkable in our church to the unthinkable in my marriage and my home God I believe that you have the authority to do what you will Thus, Lord, I'll simply sit back and trust you. But we don't do that, do we? Instead, we say, No, let me worry about it. Let me fret. Let me fight. An omnipotent, righteous, sovereign God says, if you'll allow me, whether you do or not, I want to work on your behalf. See, God is capable of doing it. He has all power and all authority to work. But he has given man that free will. And he says, will you choose to follow me? Will you choose to love me? All he asks from you is a heart and a life of surrender. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in prayer. Lord, I can't even begin to imagine, Lord, truly how wonderful you are. Lord, there's no words in our language or any language that could adequately describe you and all your glory and attributes. Yet, Lord, we know that as holy and as righteous and as wonderful as you are. God, that you love and care for each of us. God, I pray, Lord, may you help us. God, to step back. Lord, to willingly say, Father, take my life. Lord, I'll follow you to the ends of the world. Lord, whatever you say, I'll do. God, may we surrender our lives to you and trust in your sovereign, omnipotent hand. In Christ's name we pray.